0: Alright, um, so we're in the book of Jonah right now, um, and like I said, last couple weeks, Jonah is meant to be heard, it's not meant to be really read, it's meant to be heard out loud, so we have the great bearded one going to come read for us, <laughs> Dr. Nate, and um, we are not going to put the scripture up there because you're supposed to read it, I mean you're supposed to hear it, I don't read it, go ahead, is this, is this on, Check? Sound? Sound guy? Anybody? Nobody? We're new at this. It's our first week.
1: On Ashton, we Thanks, we Evan. The book of Jonah, chapter 2. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord, out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head. And the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land, whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God.
0: Father, we thank you uh, for your word. We thank you for preserving it for thousands of years so that we could sit here in this place and read it um, with those whom we love and, and, and serve in your kingdom with. I ask that this morning that you would show us something that is, that is so important to us that, that we need it, that we need to hold on to it and take it throughout our week. Um, um, s- speak to us in, in maybe a, a way we haven't heard and, and, and from something we haven't seen before. Make something fresh and new come alive from your word today. Um, I ask that these would not ever be my words, that they would be um, your words. That I would never force anything into the text that isn't supposed to be there. That uh, we, would, we would look for your truth and, and the intent of the author, and we would, we would submit to it, God. Um, your word brings life, and so that's why we come to it. Thank you for everything you do. In your name, amen. All right, so that was Jonah one seventeen. See so chapter 2, verse 10. Um, it's a really beautiful passage. It's a passage that that really is unique in, in, in the rest of, of the book. Um, as scene 2 ended, this is scene 3, um, really, as the ancient people would read it. As scene 2 ended, Jonah disappears into what we kind of look at as the abyss. This raging storm is, is calmed as he is sort of sacrificed um, so that the other's lives could be... Um, the, his, his sins are taken down under the waves, and, and the storm is is calmed, and the sailors are saved. It's very sort of gospel-esque. Um, the sailors were saved, not only physically from, from the waves and everything, but as you read the end of uh, chapter 1, you see that they were saved um, spiritually too. Verse 16 ends with this. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. So these, these, these men, actually, the sailors on the boat who were just a few minutes ago worshiping, various different gods, localized deities from wherever, from wherever they were, um, all of a sudden recognized Yahweh as the infinite, ultimate God above all other gods. And so they, they went and made sacrifices to Him. Um, and, and it says they worshipped Him and became followers of His. It's, it's really brilliant. So the funny thing is that in Jonah's disobedience, the thing Jonah did not want to happen was that he did not want um, pagan people worshipping his God. He thought he was special, he thought his, uh, his nation was, was particularly blessed to have the God that was above all the other gods, and he did not want um, people from vile nations, pagan idol worshippers, worshipping his God. Um, he was blinded by, by, by bigotry, by prejudice, by, by racism of, of sorts, um, by his own pride, his lack of understanding of grace. Um, and the funny thing is, in, in running from doing that, he actually ended up doing that, saving the hearts and the lives of everyone on that ship. There was probably upwards of 70 people on that ship. Um, none of which he really cared for. Um, people who were just like the Ninevites, who obviously worshipped other gods and, and didn't care enough to even pray for them. So in, in, in having them do this, um, he accomplished what he set out to stop. It's, it's really very ironic. Um, so, scene three here consists of three parts. So the first slide up for me. Um, so, Actually, I have, um, um, I have, there's three slides of scripture, and then throw up. Um, it says, the scene, scene three consists of three parts. It consists of, of a narrative introduction, a prayer, and a narrative conclusion. Am I missing slides? We're good. No, they're, they're all there. Okay, next. Next one, and then one more. Bam, here we are. All right. So, it has a very short narrative introduction. it is a very long detailed prayer, and then it has this narrative conclusion, a very short conclusion. Um, the main focus of this is the uh, the, the prayer, but we're going to start off with the narrative introduction, because a few things happen in the Hebrew, in the introduction, that are, that are pretty amazing, that are sort of literary devices. Okay, so... Um Let's look at the narrative introduction. Next slide for me. Um, the first thing that the Hebrews uh, listeners would have heard as they're listening to this and reading this is verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. The first thing I, I think that they would have noticed is, is the three days and the three nights. Now, um, it's not something that we really notice. It's not something that we pay attention to. Oh, he was just in there three days, three nights. It's just part of the story. Um, Believe it or not, there was actually all kinds of ancient rabbinical debates about three days, three nights. What in the world does this mean? Why is it in there? Um, We never think about it. We just move along with the story because we are Westerners. and, and, And when we tell our stories, we want to seat the person in the story with us. We talk about our day. Um, I had a, yesterday, you know, I was, at uh, this place for a couple hours, we went down about five o'clock to the park, and then played with the kids for a couple hours, and then, or we tell stories like, I waited at the restaurant for you for 45 minutes. We talk time into everything, time measurements. We, we like people to know how long we waited, how fast we got to work, um, all kinds of stuff. I'm gonna drop this so you can see better. Um, all kinds of, of things. We just, we just talk time into everything, but, um, as you read this book, you're gonna see something completely different here, um. There was one, okay, so one of, the, one of the things that I read from one of the rabbis was hilarious. Um, it said this, it says, We do not normally expect such a long sojourn within a fish. Um, I thought, I read that, laughed hilariously, wrote it down. I was like, that's brilliant. Because normally sojourns within a fish are much shorter. It's, I, I wouldn't want to be in a fish for more than a couple hours. Three days, three nights, that's a really long sojourn in a fish. Um, what a weird thing to write. But they wrote that. This is one of the, one of the things they talked about. Um, so the thing to notice for the Hebrews is that this is actually the only measurement of time in this entire story. This is probably why it brought about so much um, talk about it. There is no other measurement of time in this book. You see three days. You see three nights. Um, um, and, and the funny thing about this is there's all kinds of stuff that has happened up to this point. Uh, things are happening back to back to back to back to back But... but it doesn't talk about how long it took. We, we like to think that he woke up in the morning in Tampa, and God told him, hey, you're going you're gonna to go to St. Pete. And you're gonna, so he gets in, and he drives um, down to St. Pete. He gets on a boat and, and, and runs. Um, we like to think that it was, it was really quick. Um, planning a trip back then took months. Saving up the money, it says that he paid the fare um, for, the, for the boat. And actually, the language, a lot of people argue that it says he paid the fare for everybody on the boat. He bought the boat out so that it would go faster. Um, like, and, that's, and that's one of the things that they were talking about, too, the, uh, the, the commentaries. And so um, this is something that took a long time. Prophets didn't get paid a lot of money. Um, prophets, they really didn't. And, and so he had to plan this thing out. It's not you just pack up and go. You've got to take food. You've got to take provisions. You've got to plan it all out. Um, and yet yet none of that was mentioned. It doesn't say how long it took him to leave. It doesn't say, it doesn't say how long he was on the boat. It doesn't say how close they were to anywhere. Um, the author purposely puts one measurement of time, three days, three nights, and when we realize this, we really kind of realize that this actually has little to do with time at all. It's something that is to be thought about, it's something to be pondered. Um, and the question is why? What's the significance of the number? What is the meaning of the number? So, up the next slide for me. Um, there are really two reasons why um, the time measurement would be in there that I can gather and that other people have talked about. Um, one of them is to raise questions about um, what happened. In the belly of the fish. What, what um, in the mindset of Jonah, in the mindset of the author, um, he's in there three days, three nights. What happened? What's he thinking about? And, and what I mean is this. These are the questions that were asked. How long does it take for Jonah to begin praying? This is all we have is a short little prayer of his. Um, how long did it take him to finish the prayer? Um, when does he sink to, to the bottom, to, towards the depths? How soon afterwards did God raise him up? All these questions were being asked because all we have is, Three days, three nights, and all we have is one prayer? That's a long time. Um, and so all these questions are being asked about the mindset of Jonah. Now, the second thing is uh, that they didn't talk about back then, but that they talk about now, um, is that it was a sign pointing forward to Jesus. Um, three days, three nights. Think about Jesus standing in the midst of the Jewish leaders in the temple. Okay? Last week, I, I, read, uh, I read a piece of scripture to you that was Jesus talking about Jonah. So, with everything I've just told you about about the rabbis for centuries, like hundreds of years, discussing three days, three nights, what did this mean? And they've they've discussed it, and they've come up with all different theories and ideas. So the next verse up for me. To stand in, in, in the temple with Jesus, all the rabbis around him, listening to him talk, and he says something like this. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except that the sign the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And you're standing there, and he just told you the meaning of three days and three nights. And this has been argued forever. Your entire lifetime, this has been argued. You've probably argued this. And all of a sudden, Jesus is telling you exactly what it means, and it's nothing anyone had ever fathomed before. And it doesn't even make sense yet, because nothing has happened yet to Jesus. And so he's standing there. These men no doubt had argued about this constantly. And, 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 and Jesus is standing there claiming to know exactly what it means, and he puts it in this future meaning, not this past meaning, not this mindset of Jonah meaning. Um, and when Jesus rises from the dead on the day of the festival of the first fruits, all of the Jewish scriptures suddenly have new meaning. To be a, a religious Jewish leader in, in, in the days of Jesus, during his death, burial, and resurrection... Um, would be mind blowing the things that the signs that would just be popping out at you everywhere. I imagine the, the theological dialogue was just um, off the charts um, so suddenly these rabbinical arguments for, that, that had raged for hundreds of years are all ceasing left and right and everywhere. What do all the festivals mean? Jesus is answering them all three days, three nights what does this mean? What is the, the prophecies of Isaiah? what do they mean What, what about these passages of psalms that talk about um, is someone being scourged and, and crucified? What is all this? And, and it's all being laid out right there in front of you, in front of your very eyes. Um, this is a very brilliant thing. And, and all kinds of stuff happened back then that people didn't understand that once Jesus came onto the scene, they got. Because the Old Testament is about Jesus. All right? The second thing the Hebrew reader would have noticed would have been, um, the, in, the, in this narrative story, next, next, next slide for me here, um, I'm going to read this again. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish. I, I, I believe belly would be the next thing that they would notice, not, not because of any weird reason, but because of the word that is used there. Um, um, there the Hebrew word that is used here for belly is not this, actually an anatomically precise word. It doesn't necessarily mean, like, I ate a carrot, it's right here. That's not necessarily what that means. Um, it's a word with more meaning. Um throw up the I have some verses I want to show you up here Psalm 48 um it says this um I delight to do your will oh my God your law is within my heart that's actually heart is the same word that is used for Jonah being in the belly um uh, 1 Kings 3 9 give your servant therefore an understanding mind same word um to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil for who is able to govern this your great people um Jeremiah twelve eleven. they have made it a desolation a desolate desolate it mourns it mourns to me. The whole land is made desolate, but no man lays it to heart. There's that word again. So we have belly, we have heart, we have mind. Um, it's not just a simple word. Um, there's a lot of other places in Scriptures, lots and lots of places um, that it's used, but basically um, the general consensus is that the word represents a place where teaching is stored up. A place where teaching is stored up. Um... I would argue, myself, that the reason this word is used is because we are to think of Jonah in a state of being taught, in a state of, of judgment, in a state of, of um, being really talked to by God. He uses this, um, yeah, Jonah was swallowed by a fish, and then he kind of throws this other word in there. And he was taught. And he had to sit down and get a good talking to by God, alright, it's, it's, it's really brilliant um, for three days and three nights, Jonah sat in this state of judgment, being dealt with, being taught being changed, alright um, some of you can look back at your own life and, and you understand why the reader would do something like this um, and you can look back and, and, and you can see that there was a time in your life where probably you were given up for, for, for spiritually dead um, or even physically dead or emotionally dead, for lost um, someone for whom there is no hope of returning to the surface the, I guess we, we call this rock bottom That's what we call it. Um, And maybe you've been there. Um, I I know a lot of you have. You've been to a place where you're like, there's no coming back from this. And everyone in your family was like, there's no coming back from that. You're just not going to come back. Um, He's done. Um, And only you really know that the time you spent there was actually like the belly of the fish it was a time of learning, it was the place where teaching was stored up for you to receive. And had you not been there, had you not been in the pit of Sheol, as he describes it, and, and um, had you not been trapped behind these bars of this, of this terrible place, um, what you call the rock bottom, what he called the belly of the fish, um, had you not been there, you would never have come back out. Had you just gone near rock bottom, you would still be today struggling in that state. And it is the fact that you went so deep into that abyss um, that you are actually able to be molded and changed and taught. Um, I think that's, that's the big idea that's being pointed here, and all of that in one little verse. it's brilliant. Um, so um, only by hitting this wall are you really confined um, to, be, to, to your prison where your lessons can be learned and you're thankful. So um, let's look at the prayer. So the next slide up for me. Um, so the prayer that he prays is, is pretty special. I wanted to put it all up on one slide. I know it's probably going to be hard to read in the back, um, but I, I really wanted to be able to jump around here as we, as we look at this. Um, the prayer is, is it's, it's actually a really special prayer. It, it is a very specific sort of psalm. Um, it, is, it is called the Thanksgiving Psalm. It is called a, thank, a Song of Thanksgiving or Thanksgiving Psalm. Um, these are all through the Book of Psalms. Um, there's great examples of them. Psalm 30 um, is, is, to me, the, the, the best example of it. And it's, they all have the exact same structure, the exact same sort of flow... Um, it talks about someone who was in great distress, and um, it was brought upon themselves. And there's a point where it talks about um, how they remember God, and things change. Um, and the, it talks about a lesson they sort of learned at the end here. Um, it, it really, the pinnacle of it is, is right here in verse 7. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came into you, into your holy temple. Uh, and then he learns this little lesson, and then it, it, it changes. All right, so... Um, we're going to look at this psalm for a little bit here. Um, it's very common. Israelites and later Jews were intimately familiar with Thanksgiving songs. They were things that they regularly wrote. They were things that they regularly sang in, in, in the midst of the, of, the, of the towns that they were in when something great was happening or something had changed that was for the better. Almost all of what you read in Jonah's song can actually be found. Almost every line in this um, can actually be found in portions of the psalms. Um, you, could, you could take it all apart and you could run searches and you will find verses in the Psalms that have every single line in them. Um, so uh, there's a line here, there's a phrase here, sometimes a big phrase. Um, sometimes you can find entire sentences that are identical to the songs of David that he sang in the mountains um, in his moments of salvation. So ancient hearers and readers probably didn't need any more than like a line or two of hearing this hearing somebody read this to them to understand, okay, this is a Thanksgiving song. He's learning something. He's understanding something. And so it keeps their attention as it's being read, okay? Um, They knew from hearing what had happened so far that he was guilty. Um, They knew that he was about to die, that he deserved to die. And they knew he had been rescued miraculously by a giant fish, as the story goes. Um, for, For Jonah to now all of a sudden start talking in a song like this, it speaks to his mindset. It's something that we don't pick up on because we're not in this culture, but it's something that the listeners back then would have been like, okay, so he understands what just happened. He understands how he was just saved. All right. Um, so with all the overtones of deep emotional gratitude and heartfelt thanks for this deliverance that's, uh, that's being housed in the form of this, this song, that a song like this is typically employed by people joyously grateful for their salvation, there is this lesson that's being built. Um, that the listener, uh, if, if they pick up on it, it'll sort of smack them upside the head and they'll be like, oh, it's oh, brilliant. Okay, so um, there's this a really big, pretty big mountain of irony being built here and, and, and we're going to look at it. Um, it really comes and it hits you when you realize that what Jonah is thankful to receive from the Lord and what he is praising God for, what he is thankful for, what he is praising God for is the exact same thing that he hated that God was going to offer to everyone else. Um, and, and when I think the listener realized this, it probably sort of was the convicting moment for a second, and then it moves on and it hits him again later uh, when it gets to the Ninevites. Um, but he's, he's very thankful for what just happened to him, and he's praising God for it. He's like, oh, you, you love to save people. You are the God of salvation, and salvation belongs to you. Um, yet he's really mad at God for wanting to save everyone around. Um, it's this, it's this moment. You're just like, how are you, are you blind? Now, there's something I've learned from having toddlers. There's a million things I've learned from having toddlers. One of them was how to go on like two hours of sleep. Um, but another one is, is, is that when I'm giving something to one of them, let's say like a treat or a candy or a toy, um... They love you and they praise your actions. They're like, thank you, Daddy. I'm so excited. Thank you. Oh, I love my toy. And they show you the toy and they keep showing it to you. Um, And they're stoked about it and they praise you for it. But when you act the exact same way, let's say you pull out another toy and you give it to the other toddler, they hate you for it. (laughs) The thing that they love that you did, they all of a sudden hate that you did. All right, they are Jonah. All right? Um, And I want to rage a storm down. No, Um, they are Jonah. All right? See, I mean, grace is a really funny thing. Grace is a, is a really weird thing uh, because it, it really tells whoever's receiving the thing um, that no matter how much you love them, you don't love them more than someone else. Someone who is offering universal grace, someone who has a lot of kids and, 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 and you do something really great for one kid, they feel really special, but they forget that they're not really special. They're yours. They're, they're special to you, but they're no more special than everyone else. That's your children. All right? Um, but the problem is, whenever they receive something, this is what kind of grace oftentimes does, is it builds up our pride. And you look around at your brothers and sisters and you say, yeah, look what I got. Look what I got. Oh, you got it too. That's not cool. And you get really upset about it. Um, no matter how much... Um, and, and the funny thing is, um, it, it gets much deeper than this. Because now how much, no matter how much good you do for them, the lesson is never learned that you do good things for your children. If you have children, you do good things for them. And, and, and you... And that you are not, that they are not your only child. So no matter how much good you do for them, you will do it for these other kids. Now, no matter how much of a terror my son is being for the day, no matter how bad he's being, breaking everything, climbing the walls, um, no matter how bad he is being, um, and no matter how much people will tell you, um, well, I would never give that kid a toy again. Um, The parents still give the kid a toy. You know why? Because they, they like to see their child happy. They like to see their child happy. Now, they like to see their child behave as well. So other things come along with toys oftentimes. But they, 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 they like to see their child happy. Um, because it makes me happy to give good things to my children, even though everyone would tell me that, oh, he does not deserve that when I'm giving it to him. But when he receives it, no matter how bad he has been, if you give them a, a gift, all of a sudden they believe they deserve it. You, their sibling could be wonderful and good and well-behaved. And they know it. And they can be behaving terribly and they know it. And, and, and you give them a gift. And all of a sudden, they think that somehow they deserve it. Because when you offer it to the other kid, they're like, no, 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 no. All right, so you follow me. This is sort of how grace works. And this is what Jonah was kind of going through. Um, death is what Jonah deserved. And Jonah knew this. That sounds harsh. You might hear that and be like, well, he deserved death because he wouldn't go obey a command. What kind of God is that? Um, you don't understand that there's actually much more going on here. Um, Um, He was a prophet. He had made a covenant that he would obey God and live in God's um, way. And if he broke this covenant, he knew the punishment was death. This was a covenant, a pact that he had made. All right? Um, It was something that they had agreed to. Um, The curse for disobedience in the covenant of Israel, um, the curse for disobeying God was death. Always. It was something they agreed to. It was something they actually celebrated. They practiced it. They celebrated it every year at the Day of Atonement when a lamb was killed to pay for their sins. It was them acknowledging the punishment for sins is death. Every single year. And by taking part in this ceremony, they were acknowledging the covenant that they had with God. All right? So Jonah, understanding that he had disobeyed God and deserved to die. I used to hear this story, and I would say, like, Um, Well, God didn't tell him that if he threw himself overboard and he died that everyone would be okay. How did he know that? And maybe you've thought that before. Maybe you've read the story and said, Jonah steps up and says, throw me overboard, kill me, and you guys will live. Is he just going to try that? Like, how does he know? It seems like a big risk. Um, But he he knew because he was a prophet. He knew because he was an Israelite. He knew because this is how it worked. All right? Um, What never crosses his mind when he is thrown in, is that he is now just like those disgusting Ninevites that he hated. He was now a covenant breaker. It's the thing that he accuses them of being um, in this song, in verse 8. Um, and we're going to get there in just a second. But he's now just like those disgusting Ninevites. He was a covenant transgressor. He had been allowed to live, live on to praise and to sacrifice and devote further worship to his God. But what about the Ninevites? No matter how bad he had been, he was perfectly willing to accept the gift from God and say that nobody else deserved it except for him and his people, the Israelites. This is, it's, it's really interesting how oftentimes grace can bring about pride. It is something that a lot of Christians either struggle with it or they have it and they don't realize they have it and they should be struggling against it. Um, So let's look at verse 8. He mentions idol worshippers. And this is what the Ninevites were. They were idol worshippers. So he says this. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. The word he uses here for steadfast love, um, it's it's this Hebrew word, um, kesed. Now, I'm probably saying that wrong. um, But honestly, nobody really knows what the original Hebrew sounds like. So whatever. Um, So, he says that they, they forsake their own kesed. Um, and, and, and what this basically means is It's the Hebrew word for God's covenantal love His redeeming unconditional grace So this word represents God's covenantal love And His unconditional grace It's the same term that is used to describe God's relationship with Israel okay, the, the marriage covenant So what, basically it's grace okay? So what he's really saying is um, Idol worshippers forsake their own grace People who worship idols forsake grace In order to do that Okay? Now, he basically just said, by, by saying this, he just said, Grace is just as much the Ninevites as it is mine. Grace is just as much everyone on this boat who was worshiping idols 10 minutes ago as it is mine. This is what Jonah was learning in the belly of the fish grace. Grace is exactly what he needed to learn. So, I want to open this up. Idol worshipers forsake their own grace. And what does this mean for us? We understand what it means for, for Jonah, but what does it mean? for us. In order to worship an idol, you have to give up your grace. Alright? Whatever else it is that you're seeking. Are you seeking earthly fame and and accolades from people? Praise from people? Are you seeking riches or security? Are you seeking unfailing love in some relationship? You're not going to be whole or complete until you find a husband or a wife or or you have children, someone who depends on you. There's all kinds of things that we're seeking in life. Um, and we have to remember that, that anything that we are seeking to get, um, that really was meant to be found in Christ, like identity, um, like unconditional love, um, like security, like all of these things that, that we strive for in our life, if you are seeking for it in a place that is not God, you actually have to give up your grace, forsake your grace, in order to, to go for it and to, to attain it. And, and I'm going to help you understand a little bit more of, of, of what I'm of what I'm saying here. So, in any of these things, adoration, love, security, unfailing love, com- companionship, um, if any of these things are being sought at, like I said, in places other than Christ, then the thing that you are using to receive it is an idol. And when you take Jesus off of the throne and you put something else there, you are forsaking the grace for your idol. So in other words, if you do ever find someone who loves you unconditionally, if you do find that person, if you, do, if you, if you somehow are complete in the love that you find in somebody, That love is not grace. That is something you probably worked pretty hard for, if not just in front of the mirror. Um, It is something that that you had to probably buy gifts for them. You probably had to take them out to eat. You probably had to to woo them for a while. You didn't just walk up and they're like, I love you forever. (laughs) Awesome. All right, and then they walk with you. Um, That's not how it works. That's actually how it works with God. I love you. I always have loved you. I will love you forever. But you don't feel love. Maybe you have terrible self-esteem. You think everyone hates you, nobody loves you. In order to feel like this, um, you have forsaken the love that God is offering you, the value, the worth that he has in you. And you are now walking around trying to seek value, um, to find value in, in having other people admire you, compliment you. Um, you maybe you, you, you exercise or you get new clothes or you, you work on your image so that people will accept you. In order to be that person, if you ever do actually attain what you want, what you are looking for, you had to forsake the grace that God is offering you. This is exactly what, what Jonah is talking about. All right? Um, if you do ever receive accolades and praises of people, you're standing on a stage and all these people are, 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 are just worshiping the ground you walk on for something that you did that was great. Um, if that was what you have been seeking for, you already had accolades and praise from God. He thinks you are wonderful and beautiful and and amazing. But you don't believe it, so you throw it off. And you seek the praises of people. And you have to forsake grace in order to do this. Because it's not free. This is what Jonah had to learn from all this grace. Now, and here's the weird thing. If Jonah, Jonah's a prophet. Jonah knew God. Jonah talked to God. Jonah spoke in God's place in the city. He, He was the prophet In Israel under the most prosperous time that Israel had, like, on record up to this point. And Jonah didn't fully understand grace. If Jonah didn't fully understand grace, what chance do any of us have of really fully understanding grace? There's a pretty big chance everyone in this room doesn't fully understand grace and the impact that grace should have on us. There's a pretty huge chance. Um, We all, to one degree or another, are completely ignorant of the true impact that grace should have on us. The truth is that every problem that we have, every ounce of suffering and frustration that we bear, completely... It completely comes um, from a a lack of understanding about grace. And it can be completely changed if we simply understand what grace is and how it works. All right. um, One of my favorite authors, Tim Keller, writes this. um, So the next slide up for me. It says this. Grace is like a mansion... You think you've seen it all and no matter how long you dwell in it, one day you turn a corner and you find another hallway with vast rooms and places that you didn't know it possessed. And they were there waiting for you the whole time. No matter how long you've lived in this mansion, you think you've seen it all and then one day, oh, there's more. There's more. This is how he describes grace. There's more that, that if you understand grace more and more and deeper and deeper you take it. Um, it changes you more and more and more constantly. Grace... This, this entire book is about grace, especially this chapter is about grace. Grace is something that, that um, it's something given to, here's the definition of it. Grace is something given to an undeserving person by an unobligated giver. Grace is something given to an undeserving person by an unobligated giver. Now I'm going to open this up. Now, in other words, getting paid for something is not Grace. You earn something, and, and, and you're receiving what you have earned, you worked for it. It means that, that, that you are deserving of it, and that it is not grace. This is how most of us think of everything. This is how most of us think of, of, of really every aspect of our life. Um, our identity, we, we work for our identity. We, we construct every word that we say is us controlling how people look at us. Um, nothing really, the interactions that we do among each other are really very graceful. Filled with grace. And anyway, okay, so um, along with that, so getting paid for something is not grace. Getting a gift of appreciation for something that you did is also not grace. Now, this is a lot of times how we confuse the way God works on us. Um, in other words, if, if you do something out of the goodness of your heart for a community of people and they give you a gift as a way of saying thank you, it is not grace. If, if, um, if you come into a community of people there's things that need to be done and, and you just get to work and you do all these amazing things for people, um, and, and you, you never asked for payment, you're not expected to get paid, um, and yet you finish, and they're so thankful for the work that you have done that they give you this plaque and an award and an Applebee's gift card. <laughs> that was not grace. Why? Because you deserve it. You do. You worked really hard, you did something really great, and you deserve it. The problem is that's how a lot of us look at the gospel. Um, I know it's, it's just by faith. I know I can't earn my salvation... But for some reason, in the back of my mind, I do. I, I, I strive so that God will be happy with me. I do things that, that I volunteer at the church to try, try to score a couple points. Um, you're forsaking grace. You don't understand what it is. All right, so um, receiving a gift. Here's, here's what grace is. It's receiving a gift of great value from someone who you, whom you've treated like a dog. Someone that you have treated terribly. And yet they give everything to show their love for you. That's grace. You didn't earn it. You don't deserve it. You haven't worked for it. You've done exactly the opposite, and they give it to you anyways. That's grace. It's represented all through the scriptures. It's Jesus, when he's being arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane to go suffer and die on a cross, it's him healing the ear of one of the men who's coming to kill him. That's grace. Um, It's Paul um, in jail during an earthquake in which he was wrongly imprisoned, An earthquake destroys this prison, and he doesn't leave because he doesn't want the guard to be put to death for him getting free. Even though the guard probably deserved to be put to death for the way he treated the prisoners there. It was a Roman prison. That's grace. This is something that that is supposed to be embedded into a Christian's heart and mind. That if we actually acted on it, if we actually understood the concept of what grace is and how it has been given to us and how we are to give it to others, if we actually understood that, it would change us. It would change society. People would not understand how we can do what we do. If you understood that that what what grace can do for your life, that the... what it could do for the unrealistic, unrealistic expectations that you have for your spouse. What it could do for your, your bigoted or racist disapproval of, of the subcultures that are around you that you don't like. What it could do for your, your feelings of, uh, towards your neighbor who, who just blasts his music all day long. Really, really, really loud. And then you, you turn on a TV show in the morning and they call the police. You're like, you're too loud. And they call the police on you. Um, this, this, the ways that people treat us. If we understood grace, you know what it would do for those relationships? It would change them. It really would. If we knew, you know, the relationships that so many of you have with your parents, your mother and your father that are terrible, your brothers and sisters that are terrible, um, if you understood the impact that grace could have on these things, it would change you. So Paul starts every letter that Paul preaches with this phrase, grace and peace. And we sing this about this, grace and peace. I love this phrase. It's one of my favorite things in the world. Um, and he knew, when he says this, he knew that grace is the only thing that brings about peace with God, with family, with identity, with security, with cultural and racial barriers, with everything. With who you are, how you look at yourself, your, your, your high self-esteem, your pride, or your low self-esteem, and, and your, your, your lack of, of love for yourself and love for God, and love for other people, and, and you're constantly striving for approval. If we understood grace, it could change everything. But idol worshipers forsake their own grace. That place where you are not fulfilled because you are striving so hard, and you're not getting what you deserved, you're probably forsaking something from God that he is offering freely to you to fill that void. And it's grace, and you have thrown it off so that you could seek for it somewhere else. Look at what Jonah says in verse 7. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came came to you into your holy temple. So when Jonah is receiving the exact thing that he earned and he deserved, death and destruction, he says, I remembered God. I remembered. I remembered the nature of my Lord and how he acts with people and I remembered things that I had forgotten about him. The day that he saved me. I, I remember the grace that he bestowed upon me. I, when I was about to receive what I deserved, I all of a sudden remembered that God doesn't care what I deserve. And he saved me. And I should have known he was going to save me. All right, he remembered that his prayer, and he says, and his prayers came into the holy temple. This is beautiful because... No one deserved to be in the Holy Temple. This was still the Old Testament. This was not a a time uh, after the death of Christ when we are all welcomed into the the Holy of Holies. Jonah's prayers Jonah was not a priest, he was a prophet. He was not allowed to go into the Holy Temple, only the priest was. And Jonah says, My prayers went straight into the Holy of Holies, onto the throne of God, the mercy seat of God. I was suffering and I was dying, and I remembered that every word I'm saying is, is being heard by God on his throne, on his temple. It's beautiful, all right? Um, and you know, he's like he doesn't deserve it. Some of you are, are in pretty terrible situations. I've heard some things here and there that, that some of you are suffering with and going through. A lot of us are praying for you and you're going through really tough situations um, and, and these things are keeping you up at night and it's difficult. I, ask your, I, want you to, I want you to sit back and ask yourself, have I forgotten the Lord? Have I forgotten the grace that he has? Have I forgotten that, like, I don't, I don't find my security in this, in, in, in this situation turn out for the right? I don't. I find my security um, as a gift of grace from a God who is sovereign, who is in control of everything, and who is taking all of this somewhere. That I really can relax and praise God through what I am going through. It's a gift of grace. It's not something... I, there's, I should never just forsake that grace and work really hard to fix this situation. The manner of love that God has for people despite what they deserve. Have you forgotten the grace that He has given to you? If you're expecting someone to earn a response from you, We need to remember, idol worshipers forsake their grace. Anything that you are seeking, God is asking you to come to Him with that place that is empty, and He's asking you to come to Him and, and put Him back on the throne and say, I'm going to seek it in you. I'm not going to find my identity in how people look at me. I'm, I'm not going to find my worth in how people talk about me. I'm not going to find my, my joy and my happiness in earthly circumstances, because I know people have been through terrible things, have been imprisoned, and while they're in prison, they're singing out to you. I I know joy can be found no matter what I'm going through. It's grace. And this was what Jonah had to learn. This was why he was in that fish. This was... He needed to learn that God loved everyone else just like God loved him. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation is not yours. It's not yours to earn. It's nobody else's to give you. It's a gift from God. It's grace. Um... I think we should take communion now. We take this every single week. It's an incredibly important time. And uh, our communion service, go ahead, yeah, and get it ready. Um, communion is a time when, when we um, remember what Jesus did for us to offer us that grace, what it cost Him. While it doesn't cost you anything, it cost Jesus Christ everything to offer it to you. Um, when He suffered and died on the cross, um, That was for you. That was something you deserved. That was something that that was necessary to pay for the sins of the world. Um, What we're celebrating here is grace. We take the the bread and the wine. We take a piece of bread, we dip it in the glass, and we eat it, and we say, Lord, thank you for your body, which was broken for me. Thank you for your blood, which was spilled for me. And And we remember our God again. We do this in remembrance of the Lord.